We do come before you, Lord, this morning, and we declare with all of heaven, with all of the highest-ranking angels surrounding the throne of God, who are declaring, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb that was slain, and we add our chorus to theirs in declaring your absolute worthiness. We love you and we thank you for your presence with us by the Holy Spirit this day. Open our hearts now to your word, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. And uh, I was just thinking uh, about this message, and I was thinking about rituals. Rituals. And uh, I'm imagining that you go through some rituals every morning. You went through some rituals this morning. I hope you did. Um, uh, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not a coffee drinker, because I'm a good Christian. <laughs> but my wife got a little bit of an addiction, and so her morning, her morning thing is to start with the coffee. I start with Jesus myself, but that's... Um, <laughs> But there's some rituals, you know. Uh, you know, you maybe had a shower. A shower is a good thing. A morning ritual. And you, you, you've got the things that you go through, um, and, and, and kind of custom, uh, customary practices that you do, and and um, and things that we do. And and we we have rituals for a lot of things. How we maybe in your family, how you do birthdays or how you do Christmas, like Christmas for us, because I, I've been in ministry forever. Um, family come, they have to come to us. So we, we do Christmas Eve together, and then we go and we just have a food fest after that. And, and then we go to bed, we get up in the morning, and we have the same kind of breakfast usually. And, and these, are kind, these are the rituals that we, that we kind of have in our life. And you know, some people have some really weird kind of rituals too. And, and sports figures, often sports figures have some, ooh, some stuff that's way out there. And I was, I was reading about Wade Boggs, who played for um, the Boston Red Sox, and he played also for the uh, New York Yankees. And, and he had the same rituals that he would go through uh, every uh, evening game. Every evening game, the meal was the same. It was always chicken for dinner. Um, he would do batting practice at exactly 5.17. He would take exactly 150 ground balls. He would run wind sprints. And uh, what he would do is uh, when he would go up to the plate, he would bend over in the batter's box and he would write something, uh, just a, a couple of letters in Hebrew, uh, which meant life. And this was his thing. And, and every time it was the same, same uh, kind of thing, and, and I've read about different players, and they have to wrap their stick with tape exactly 27 times, and, and they have rituals. Well, well, all of us probably have uh, different rituals in our life, and we know the institutions of our nation, our governments, our schools, our courts of law, even things like what they're they're um, they're the kind we we all have rituals for different things, and and they can be really significant that give a sense of meaning and purpose to, uh, to that uh, organization or to that person. But do you know that uh, there are also 
sacred rituals. Sacred rituals that God has given to the church in the New Testament. And God has blessed us with some rituals that, that are to be a part of our worship, uh, that are, are prescribed for us, for our good, for our benefit, and for the glory of God. And this week and next week, I want to look at and consider sacred rituals for the church. And I want to start this morning with a definition, a definition. Um, and uh, a sacred ritual or, or an ordinance, as we call it in the church, an ordinance, just, it's something that's been ordained by God. Uh, here's, uh, here's a definition, and, and it's um, that it is an external act that represents a spiritual truth that Christ has given to the church. So it's an external act, it's something we do, something physical, and it has a spiritual significance or meaning for us inside, uh, and it's something that Christ has given to the church. Well, um, and so it would reflect a reality in our lives, um, and, and so the question is, well, well what would qualify for a, a, a spiritual ritual um, or an ordinance? And the first thing is this, it would be something that would be commanded by Jesus, Commanded by Jesus. It's, if it's an ordinance for the church, if it's, it's a, a, a spiritual ritual for the church, the head of the church should have given the command to do that. And so it needs to be commanded by Jesus. Secondly, uh, it needs to be practiced by the church. So there needs to be evidence that this wasn't just a one-off thing, that uh, some things are not to be meant to be a ritual. Some things are, are, are meant just to happen once. But if this is a, a, a ritual or an ordinance of the church, um, it needs to, we need to have evidence that, act, in fact, the church has participated in practicing that in an ongoing way as an ordinance. And so when we subject this criteria to all the various things, uh, we come up with two rituals or ordinances that are affirmed. One is communion, uh, which, as you see, we will... We'll, uh, we will observe today, and the other is baptism, which we have coming at the end of the month. Now, there are some churches that make other things rituals. There are some churches that make foot washing rituals, and there's some that add a lot of things. But when it comes down to it, uh, these two criteria, uh, that it has to be commanded by the head of the church, Christ, and it has to be evidenced of uh, ongoing practice of that as a ritual in the church. And those two, uh, communion and baptism, are affirmed by this. So this week and next week, we want to investigate these two sacred rituals or ordinances and understand um, uh, what they mean and how we practice them and, and, uh, and how God blesses us through these. Now, there are a number of names for communion, and so I, wanna, I wanna just want to give you some of the names that are synonyms for communion in the church. The first one, of course, is communion, and uh, we have that, uh, often called in many churches, called Holy Communion. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a common title. It's a, it's a title that we use. Uh, and in 1 uh, Corinthians 10, 16, it says this, Is not 
the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? And you're saying to me, like, how do you get communion out of that? Um, Well, there's a word in there that says participation. And that word participation is really the word for communion or also it's translated fellowship. So communion is a fellowship with God, and it's a fellowship with others. And we commune with Christ, and we commune with each other. And, and that's how we come up with that. Just think of that word. Not only that, but fellowship, communion, or here, it's a participation in the blood of Christ. Um, so that's one. And the next one is this, the Lord's Supper. And you, you'll hear that. Uh, statement in first corinthians 11 and 20 the apostle paul says so then when you come together is it not the lord's supper you eat so this this was inaugurated in a meal setting and it was called the lord's supper in scripture um, the next one it's called the lord's table and first corinthians 10 21 you you cannot drink the cup of the lord and the cup of demons you can't have idol worship and worship Jesus, you cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. So this came to be called also the Lord's table, uh, the Lord's supper and the Lord's table. And then there's, uh, then there's another one that uh, we may not, uh, we don't use as much, but in many churches it's used, and that's called the Eucharist. You've heard that term, the Eucharist? We're going to celebrate the Eucharist. And um, in 1 Corinthians uh, 10 and verse 16, it says, Is this not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks? Well, Eucharist means, in the Greek language, thanksgiving. And so this was associated with the Lord's table. Remember, Jesus gave thanks. He broke it. And we give thanks. And so the term that began to be used about communion was, it's the Eucharist. It's when we uh, give thanks for the body and the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And there's one more. And it's called the breaking of bread. Now, if you're familiar with uh, some of the Brethren movement, they use the title for communion, the breaking of bread, or the breaking of bread service. And that's communion. In Acts 2, it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the early church. This is what they did devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Now, the breaking of, to break bread together means to eat together, to fellowship together around the table. But it had a very special other meaning that when the early church would gather, they would have communion with that. And so it was called uh, the breaking of the bread. Um, And and, uh, also in Acts chapter 20, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. And Paul spoke to the people because he intended to leave. The breaking of bread is another uh, term. So uh, if you're in a brethren circle, you'll hear that term being used. It's the breaking of bread service. That's just another way of saying communion. Well, how did we get the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, communion, the Eucharist, the breaking of bread? How did we, how did we come by that? How did we get that? Well, in Matthew tw- uh, uh, chapter 26, we begin to see what happened. 
And um, uh, so in Matthew, it says this. While they were eating, now this is a Passover meal that Jesus was sharing with his followers, with his disciples. Um, he said, uh, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he'd finished, uh, when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, Jesus gathered his disciples uh, together to celebrate the Passover. Now, to understand the Passover, I want to take you back to the Old Testament. I want to take you to when God's people went down into Egypt and stayed there for 400 years, and God prospered them and built them into a nation. And um, uh, while they were there... uh, there arose a king, a pharaoh, that didn't know the, all of the history, and he just saw this massive group of people within their borders that they saw as a security risk, that they could turn on them, that they could join with their enemies against them, and so they began to abuse them and oppress them. They, they forced them into labor, and they asked for more and more, and they beat them, and, and they, they were cruel taskmasters. And God heard the cry of his people, and he would deliver his people. And uh, so uh, what they did was, uh, God, you remember, uh, the ten, uh, you, you remember the ten plagues on Egypt and how God showed his strength to break the resolve of the king to let his people go and worship him and ultimately to go to the promised land. And uh, when, they, when he did that, uh, they did something that to us may seem quite strange. God said, uh, God said to the people through Moses, now I want you to, on this specific night, I want you to take a one-year-old male lamb without any defect, and I want you to slaughter it. And I want you to take the blood of that lamb, and I want you to put it on the doorposts all the way around. And I want you to uh, roast that meat and have a celebration with your family, and, and then stay in. And God sent a death angel through the land of Egypt, and he put to death the firstborn in every home. And that broke the back and the resolve of Pharaoh, who then let the people go. And of course, they, he went after them with their army, and he was going to uh, slaughter them in the desert. And you remember how they crossed the Red Sea, and God protected them. And God instructed them to take and, and to... Um, memorialize this great saving act that he had done for them to memorialize this in a sacred ritual called the Passover. And so they would go through this ritual of remembering what um, God had done in his great saving act for them. And uh, it was at this celebration, Jesus said, when he gathered on that Thursday night when he was going to be put to death, early Friday morning, uh, was going to be hanging on the cross. He said, oh, I, you know, I've longed to spend this time with you around the table celebrating. And in John's gospel, um, John uh, the Baptist sees Jesus coming toward him in the first chapter. And he says, behold the Lamb of God. And Jesus was going to do something absolutely special and unique. He was going to take this, uh, this sacred ritual this uh, sacred feast, and he was going to give a whole new significant where Jesus himself would become the Passover lamb 
to provide salvation for his people. And, um, and so he took on that special occasion and he took bread in the middle of the meal and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said to them, this is my body which is given for you. And then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks for it. And he passed it around for each one of them to take a drink. And he said, this is my blood in the new covenant, instituting a new covenant. And it was through that that um, uh, the, uh, the Lord's table was instituted and established in that special moment. Now, to be fair, the disciples really didn't get it all. They didn't, they didn't understand everything. Um, and as he's doing this, they would, they would get it. Because just hours from then, he's going to hang on the cross. You know, Sunday, he's risen uh, from the grave. And, and this is given as a perpetual uh, feast for his people. Um, and, and so uh, Jesus is saying in essence in that, I'm the Passover lamb. There's going to be a new covenant, and that new covenant would be inaugurated, even as the old covenant was, with the shedding of blood. Um, So this new covenant would be inaugurated with the shedding of blood, and I will be the sacrificial lamb paying the price for our sins. That was the beginning of this new ritual that was given to the church just hours before Jesus would give his life for us. Now the question is, what is the significance of the Lord's table. Um, what, is it, what is the meaning of it? What, what is the significance for us? And, and how do we practice this in a God-honoring way? And so I want to give you five different aspects uh, to the Lord's table that uh, uh, will maybe help us in understanding the meaning of this. First off, there's a focus on remembering. There's a focus on remembering. When something significant happens... Uh, we often find it important uh, to, uh, to mark those occasions with, with something, um, some way to remember them. Uh, let me give you one thing that we do each year. November 11th, what do we do? Remembrance Day, right? And there's certain things that go along with that ritual, uh, wherever you were. This past... Um, this past Remembrance Day, I happened to be with my mother in hospital. And um, when 11 o'clock came on uh, November 11th, everybody, and she was just waiting outside for tests, everything stopped for two minutes in the hospital. Everybody paused, and there was silence. Uh, unless a treatment was really necessary, everything stopped. Uh, people wore poppies. Uh, people went to the cenotaph. There was there were uh, different kinds of, of programs and services. And what was the purpose of that? It was to remember. It was to remember the incredible cost in human life to preserve what we enjoy in terms of freedom and liber- liberty. It, it, it was to memorialize the cost of tens of millions of lives in the first and tens more than that in the Second World War. It wasn't to let it slip by. We stopped. And we have these ways of memorializing and remembering and appreciating with a sign of, uh, of gratitude for what has been done for us. And um, 
Jesus knows how forgetful we can be. He knows how we can let things slip, that a day can go by and we don't even think, not a whit, of what Jesus did when he died on the cross for us. And maybe a second day and a third day, and a week could go by, and we didn't once think what Jesus did for us. And and two weeks could go by, and and on and on. And Jesus said, I know you're prone to forget. And so what I want you to do is I want you to have this memorial supper for me, this this table, spread this table, and gather together for communion. And in so doing, I want you to remember me, lest we forget. We get preoccupied in life, don't we? We we get busy. Uh, Life goes crazy, and we have trouble keeping everything together, and so easily we forget. And in 1 Corinthians 11, it says this, Paul, the Apostle Paul said, I received from the Lord. The Lord specifically told the Apostle Paul what he's going to communicate here. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this, command, do this, ongoing command, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. He knows how easily we forget. He knows how easily this stuff slips from our mind and we're called to remember. Not in some kind of sentimental way. Uh, You know, not to live in the past, but in a way that, that has implications for the present, and for our life. Uh, and, and we go back with communion. We go back and, and, and perhaps in our mind visualize what happened when Jesus gave his life for us. We, we recall the incredible sacrifice. We sang the, the song, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And God pulls back the curtain, if you will, and lets us see a vision of what happens in heaven. He did that in Isaiah 6, where we see this incredible uh, display of, of what the New Testament tells us was Jesus. And angel, uh, great angelic beings are crying from one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the, all, the whole earth is full of his glory. And, and John tells us that what they saw was the glory of Jesus, what he saw. And we see this picture in heaven. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. And, and, and this cry. And here is Jesus living in this glory. And he gives it all up. He comes uh, at, uh, at Christmas as a baby. God, the creator, as a baby. A helpless baby in the arms of a mother. And he grows up. And he lives an absolutely perfect life. And he, he grows up to offer his life as a sacrifice, leaving heaven. And, and, and if you go through and see how he is brutalized, how he is beaten and whipped and scourged and, and punched and kicked and, and everything that was done to him. And he's hung on a cross to die. And he says, don't forget it. Don't forget it. Um, it, it, should, it should humble us to reflect on what he did 
for us. It should cause us to fall before him in worship and in gratitude for all he has done. And remembering, it should impact our life. It should affect us in the presence. And so we take and we share these symbols of his love and his sacrifice. A wafer that is broken, reflecting his body that was given for us, and a cup that reflects the blood that was shed as he gave his life. It's to touch us now in a powerful way through these symbols. One of the songs we sang, I I think, on Good Friday was, Lead Me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane. Lest I forget thy agony. Lest I forget thy love for me. Lord, lead me to Calvary. And as we uh, partake this morning, we're going to go back to Calvary. and We're going to see Jesus um, dying. Uh, We're going to see the love that he has for us. And we're going to remember and in humility to thank him and to have a sense of gratitude. Well, we remember... The next word, though, is fellowshipping. Fellowshipping with Jesus and his people. Jesus is the one who invites you to this table. I'm not inviting you to the table. He invites you to the table. He's the host of, of this meal. And he calls us to come to this table, to spend time with him, to be nourished by him. And there is something um, in this, that he is present here with us. He promises to be present with us in the midst of all of this. Um, and and uh, his desire is to fellowship with us. Remember I said one of the words is fellowship or commune? His desire is to be with us here in a very real and powerful way by his spirit. Don't you know God has always had a desire to fellowship with us as his people. Uh, look at in the Garden of Eden, before sin came. In the cool of the day, God would walk with Adam and Eve and talk with them. The fellowship they had was sweet. That was destroyed when they rebelled against God and disobeyed uh, his command and his word. But God's desire was to fellowship with them, to be together with them. Now, just as uh, if, if you have some really sweet time of fellowship with people. Often that's around a table, right? You know, that's a family or guests in. You, you, you sit around the table, and then in that tel- uh, table fellowship, there's something of intimacy um, and love that is expressed. And when God began to uh, show us, uh, after the failure of the Garden of Eden, he gave his people uh, different rituals, that they would observe and show their love and devotion to their God in the covenant that he made with them. And, and the interesting thing about that is this, um, that they would bring, for instance, a sacrifice. An animal would be sacrificed. A certain portion of that would go to the Lord and a certain portion they would eat together. And you know what the scripture says? To eat it together with joy before the Lord. It was a sign of, of fellowship with God. And, and uh, it's interesting as we come to this because we come to this New Testament Passover of Jesus and that he inaugurated the Lord's table around a meal. It was around that. And it was a, a table fellowship. 
Uh, and Jesus, you know, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus was always having dinner at somebody's place. And, and, and he wants to spend time with us. He wants to fellowship with us. He invites us uh, to, to be with him around here. There's a beautiful verse in, um, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. The, the, um, uh, it's to the Laodicean church, and Jesus says this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. And you know what we're going to do? I'll eat with him and he'll eat with me. We're going to have intimate table fellowship. We're going to be around there. You know, I love to eat. I I find this stuff so cool. Uh, (laughs) You know, we're going to a place where there's a great banquet and there's this thing called the marriage supper of the Lamb. But the, the whole point of it is intimacy with Jesus. He wants us, he wants to have that intimate fellowship with us. And, and Jesus said that he would not drink again of the fruit of the vine until he drank it anew with them in his kingdom. There would be ongoing fellowship that we would have. Beautiful. So in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17, it says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving which, which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is, it not, is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share one loaf. So he invites us to come and, and have fellowship with him. And have intimacy with him. Keep that in mind as we do this. But there's something that he extends this to. He says, he gives a double meaning. He is, he is, uh, he says, he talks about his body as being one loaf. And then he refers to that same body as being the church. So not only is there a sense of fellowship with Jesus at the table, this is something where we all participate. We all are the body of Christ. And we commune and fellowship together. One body, one loaf. A picture of the unity we all share. And so there's this communal aspect uh, to, to communion. This fellowship that we have together. That this was never meant for you to do personally by yourself at home. This is always something that the gathered assembly does together. It's, it's a thing that the body does. And in the early church, what they did was they had uh, what they called a love feast. Um, in the early church, when the, when the church was established in Jerusalem, they didn't have a lovely building like we did. Uh, they could meet from home to home, and they'd have so many people in their house, and, and they would have this fellowship together. And a critical part of what communion is, is it's, it's what we do together. It was, they had this uh, communion. Um, they had a, a, this love feast, which was like a potluck dinner, and people would bring stuff, and, and they would share it together, and, uh, and, and that was a beautiful thing. And there were some problems, though, um, and uh, some of them abused that. And in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, we read this, uh, the Apostle Paul says, when you come together, is it not the Lord's Supper you eat? For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. They had a potluck, but they had rich people in the congregation who kept the food to themselves. And they had people who didn't have anything to eat. They were poor. And this, this was a blight on them. 
Um, As a result, one person remains hungry and another person gets drunk. Uh, Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. There's something about communion where we come together as one and we display the love and unity that Jesus wanted for us just before he went to the cross. He said, by this will all people know that you're my disciples because you have what? Love for one another. And when we do communion, we commune with each other. We fellowship with each other and with Jesus around this table. And he called them out for their failure. This is supposed to be a sweet time for us with Jesus and a sweet time with each other as members of the family. Well, the third thing is is there's a renewing of commitment. A renewing of commitment. In Mark 14, Mark says this. While they were eating... Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Uh, Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I'll not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you, in your kingdom. Jesus says something interesting there about the cup. He says, this cup is the blood of the covenant. Now, a covenant is an agreement. In the Old Testament, God made an agreement with his people. He said, I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I'll call the shots. Here's what I expect of you. Here's what I'll do for you. But the Old Testament talked about a new, te- a new covenant that would come, that would supersede the old covenant. Of, of animal sacrifices would no longer be necessary. And Jesus himself, as I said, would become the, both the sacrifice and the, sacrifice, the, the one sacrificing himself. And he would provide for us um, a, a new way with a new covenant uh, on the basis of what he'd done. And in that relationship, uh, inaugurated by his death in this new covenant that was ratified by the shedding of blood. Um, The thing is, if you are a believer in Jesus, you are a part of this covenant community. You are a part of his covenant people. And he expects you to live in obedience to what he has said. Um, In fact, in the the Great Commission, it says that, uh, that we're to go and make disciples of all nations. We're to baptize them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're to what? Teach them to obey everything he's commanded. And so we're in a covenant relationship with him. And we're to live out whatever he has commanded us. And, um, and communion is an opportunity for us to examine our lives. And to see if we're living in a right relationship with that. It, it calls us to stop to push pause on our life, to do a bit of an evaluation, an assessment. Are we uh, faithfully following him in, in what he wants us to do? Because communion is also about re- renewing that commitment that we have made to him. Um, in 1 Corinthians 11, I told you the bad things that were going on, how they were abusing, not sharing, and all the rest of that stuff. He says this, So then, whenever you eat, 
the bread or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, you'll be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body, and I think that's this body, they were abusing this body, um, they eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you fallen asleep. God was judging them for those abuses, and there was sickness, and some people had died, and that was a judgment of God against abuse of that. Now, communion is an opportunity where we come, and we reflect on what Jesus had done and what it means to us, and we say, um, it, it, this is a re- we're renewing our pledge of loyalty before you. We're recentering ourselves in you. We, we've been out there, and, and we've got all these influences and forces on us, and sometimes we slip a bit, and this is a time to come to recenter ourselves in Jesus. And let me say this, to reaffirm our baptismal confession. When you were baptized, if you were baptized, you made a pledge to follow Jesus Christ. You declared that he was your Savior, he was your Lord, and you would live for him the rest of your life. And every time we come to communion, it's an opportunity to stop and say, Lord, I I reaffirm my baptismal confession that I will follow you um, all the days of my life. And um, see, we can wander a bit, right? We can all have some things that uh, we let slip a little bit. And what God wants us to do is, is stop and pause and look at our life and back up and see, you know, is there something that, that I'm withholding from God? Is there some way that I'm willfully being disobedient on a continuous basis? Do I need to stop? Is there something I need to confess? And we'll give you an opportunity to just do that between you and the Lord. Uh, in just a couple of moments, and, um, and to re-up with your commitment. That's something that baptism means. And then there's hoping next, hoping. Uh, Matthew said um, in, in the final verse of his version of the Lord's table that um, he said that, uh, yeah, that verse is good, thank you. I tell you, Jesus said, I'm not going to drink this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. See, communion is a a reminder that Jesus who died and rose is the Jesus who's going to return in glory for his people. That everything that he accomplished on the cross, um, uh, he would bring to completion In fact, the Apostle uh, Paul says in Philippians 1, he says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. He started something with us. He's going to keep it going. He said, I'm not going to drink this fruit of the vine until I drink it with you in my kingdom. And I'm coming back. And every time we have communion, we're reminded that Jesus is returning. And that should give us a sense of, of hopefulness. Every communion service is a reminder of that. And sometimes when we're struggling and we're hurting and, and we got a bad diagnosis from the do- a doctor and, and things are really tough and we're struggling, we need to remember that this world and, and our existence here isn't even the end of the story. There's something that's coming that is so glorious and every time we're 
sit at this table, we're reminded of a future hope that there will be for us. And that's why the Apostle Paul could say, I reckon that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. We have hope. And when we sit at this table, we recognize that. And finally, proclaiming. The very enactment of communion declares by its nature good news. It proclaims in word and in symbol and deed the gospel. Those symbols visualize the gospel that we have. And every time we celebrate communion, we're telling of the great news, the news of hope for the world. That people can listen to the words and people can see the enactment of this through the bread and the cup and hear the gospel. In uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26, the Apostle Paul says this, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you what? Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There is a declaration of the gospel through this. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, um, my prayer is that you'll come to understand and see uh, through this demonstration something of what the message of good news is for you, what he's done for you. It's interesting, um, a few years ago, uh, there was uh, a man in my church who had come from China. He was doing postdoctoral work at the university. And somebody had connected with him and invited him uh, to come to church. Uh, he was not a Christian. He was, uh, he was uh, a card-carrying communist. But for some reason, he came to church and he sat a few months, week after week. And, and uh, one day after a communion service, the guy that invited him to come uh, brought him over to me. He says, he's got something to tell you. And I said, oh, yeah, you know, what is it? He said, uh, today in commu- during communion, I trusted Jesus Christ. And he took his first communion. But it was sitting here the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it all came to him and he understood and he embraced Jesus Christ and the first thing he did in trusting Christ was to have communion with the family. How beautiful is that? And, and this is, a, this is a, a call. It's a declaration of Jesus' love. And um, what, what a beautiful thing. Every communion... The message of Jesus comes forcefully to us. Well, I just want to wrap it up here. Uh, practice. Uh, first thing under practice, this is not optional. This ought to be a priority. Um, he said, do this, and by the tense we know he means do repeatedly this, Jesus says, until, until I come again. Do this in remembrance of me. Commit to observing it. Don't miss it. It's critical to your spiritual life to recenter you in him, to deal with any sin in your life, to refocus your life uh, in Christ. Um, And secondly, it's to be regular. Do this repeatedly as often as you do in remembrance of me. Well, how often are we supposed to do it? Um, Well, we're not told in Scripture. In the early church, the very early church, they did it whenever they gathered. They gathered for a love feast. They had a, a time of teaching. They had communion. Uh, there are some churches that do it uh, once or a few times a year. Uh, our, our tradition, in our tradition, we have done it at least, at least once a month 
through the year that we paused to reflect on Jesus Christ. Uh, the question is then, who can participate? Who should be participating in this? And first off, it's believers. Everything that was done here was given to believers. The family of God, the people who are in the covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, the people who have trusted him as Savior are, are to do that. Um, that being said, not, not all of us are, are at that point yet. Some of us are, are, are still thinking and wondering and, and, and still trying to figure out the Christian faith. And, and if that's you, I want you to know that, that we just, we're so thankful and grateful that you're here in, in listening and thinking and processing. And we want you to know that we're here to try and answer questions and dialogue with you. And, uh, but we don't want you to make, make you feel uncomfortable. We want you to feel that you, you, know, you need to do this or put on a show or something. Don't do that. This is, this is for uh, believers, and um, let me say also that you don't need to be embarrassed about that. Uh, if you don't take communion, nobody will think ill of you in that way. Um, but let me say, like, like that man who came up after the service, that communion was the point at which it all came together for him. God opened his eyes and opened his heart, and he reached out and trusted Jesus Christ. And if, if you're still in that position of thinking through all this, I, I just want to say to you that uh, I trust that Christ will make himself known to you, that you'll recognize that you have sinned before a holy God and that he loves you and he will, uh, is willing to forgive you, to make you his child if you'd put your trust in him and acknowledge him. And uh, if you do that, you feel free to take communion along with the rest of us and uh, make sure you come and share that good news with us so that we can, um, we can celebrate with you. And then people who are walking in a right relationship with God. You see, when we take communion, we say, I, I'm okay with God, and I'm okay with others. And so if, you don't, if that's not the case with you, you, you get it right. That's why we have time to do that. And... Uh, and uh, that doesn't mean any of us is perfect. None of us is perfect, but we come and, and we confess our sin before him. And then the last thing is the question, what about children? What do we do with children and communion? And um, if we said it's for believers, and it's for believers who understand. So if your children, because we have communion um, a few times a year with the children with us, if they understand and they, uh, they've put their trust in Jesus Christ, and you're satisfied with their understanding, you can help them uh, to take communion. I remember when our, our son was a little guy, and he couldn't understand why in church we got juice and bread, and he didn't, and he started throwing a bit of a fit because it was just, you know, it was so unfair. He wanted to have what we had. And obviously, he didn't understand. Um, so that we leave with you about your children. Hey, this is, this is the ordinance of the Lord's table that we're going to uh, partake in right now. I want to pray, and uh, we'll call our musicians up. Father, uh, we come and we thank you for this sacred ordinance that you have given to bless us, to nourish us, uh, to commune with us, 
to call us back to fellowship with you, to express our heartfelt gratitude to you, and to join with family of faith in worship, and to reaffirm our hope, that our hope is in you and is in you alone. And so, Father, as we come to this table, I just pray that you'd help us to focus on you, to focus on what you have done for us, And uh, Father, I ask that you would make this such a precious and special time as together in unity and in love, we fellowship with you and we give thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I'm going to ask as uh, the musicians uh, lead us in song that our servers come to the table, please.
Let's just take a moment and uh, (laughs) expose our hearts to the Lord, uh, to examine our hearts so that we might eat and drink in a worthy manner. If there's sin that needs to be confessed, deal with those things. If there's something that's standing in the way of your giving yourself fully to Christ, deal with those just before we go. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus and for what he's done for us. And as we partake in this sacred ritual that you have prescribed for us, I pray that you would make Jesus so precious and special to us and that we might deeply appreciate who he is and what he's done for us. In Christ's name, amen. In just a moment, um, we'll invite you to come uh, to the front Um, If you would exit out the left side of uh, your seat and uh, come down to the front, there will be someone who will serve you, uh, the bread and the cup, and then you can file back around and go in the other side. Um, The wafers are gluten-free, so if that's uh, something that's an issue for you, just uh, take comfort in that.